As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, what is the difference between Iron Man and Aluminum Man? Oh, wait, I should be able to figure this out. I don't know. Iron Man stops the bad guys. Aluminum Man foils their plans. <laughs> That's wasn't where I wasn't where I was going. That's good. Good. <laughs> good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I am great. Good. I'm great. We had a, you know, had a nice holiday and good to be back. Get yep. on, get on the, get on the routine again. Yeah. I was going to say it, it's, it's been nice having some time off and not doing the normal graveyard tales stuff, but it feels good to get back into the swing of graveyard tales and the recording and all that kind of stuff. So, um, before we get into too much, I want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a whole bunch of different shows that you may not find anywhere else, and we're proud to be associated with these shows. Go on there, check them out. You can also find some tips and tricks on recording a podcast and stuff like that if you're interested. Um, also, we want to thank tonight's sponsor, Care Of. We will talk a little bit more about them shortly. Now, in the outro, what we're going to do We're going to do our outro and then we'll start the music, but keep listening because we're going to stop it and we've got a little insert for you. Uh, What happened is Phyllis, and I apologize, Phyllis, sent in a story for the Christmas episode, sent it in early, and my dumb butt somehow didn't get it put in our notes. So I feel terrible, but (laughs) we're going to make up for that. We're going to put her story in the end. So keep listening after the outro. For those of you that click off at the outro, keep listening. You'll get a bonus story this week from Phyllis. That's right. Speaking of bonuses, go to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up to become a patron. We have three different levels. Our $10 patrons, they get the video version of each recording plus the bonus episodes that we do for Patreon. 
And we're also going to start this year, we're going to start putting out an ad-free version of the main episode audio-wise on Patreon for the $10 members as well. So go over there and sign up, patreon.com slash Graveyard Tales, if you'd like to get an ad-free version of the show or you want to see us recording the thing, you can see what our outfit of the day is or just see some of the stuff that I don't cut out of yeah. that version. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I've said it before. You get to see how the sausage is made. Mm-hmm. You get to see, see what we do, see our ugly mugs and, 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 where, you know, our, our quote unquote studios. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. I mean, you, you get to see our flubs and our retakes and all that stuff. And, it's a good time. Yep. And you can see the hat that I'm wearing. I had to bring this up. Rural King. If you know of Rural King, then you know. But we went to visit family in Illinois, and Ashley said, I've got to take you to Rural King. And I'm like, okay, I'm down. So we brave the snow and the temperatures, and we get out there. And I I have found my new favorite store, Matt. It's like, <laughs> it's like tractor supply on steroids. It's amazing. Uh, I love Tractor Supply because you can buy pretty much anything you want there. Well, Rural King has even more of anything you want. So I had to buy a hat. I'm sporting them down here. Going to try to get a Texas edition of Rural King. Um, I've I've never been in one, but I had this image in my head of of Adam walking out with like one of those big, huge, uh, uh, like uh, coverall, you know, for the winter, (laughs) you know that. That khaki color, yep. it's puffy and everything, and you got it zipped up, and it's like you you can't. It's got to be below zero, or it's going to be way too hot yeah. for you to wear. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you, Matt. I almost did that because it was so <laughs> cold up there, and my Texas blood was frozen. I had crystals mm-hmm. in my in my blood from that, and I was told by uh, Ashley and a lot of her Illinois family that if you want a good winter coat, you got to buy it in the places that have winter weather like that. So I, oh, yeah, I almost bought me some coveralls and a winter jacket to make it through the, the days that we were there. <laughs> that will hang in your closet for yep. <laughs> until you travel somewhere else. Yep. Once every five years, <laughs> I'll get to use it, but I'll have it just in case. All right, Adam, let's take a minute and talk about uh, one of tonight's sponsors, Care Of. Now, Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. Now, in 2023, instead of a long list of resolutions that just tend to overwhelm you, why don't you try focusing on a few key things that will allow you to feel more balanced and energetic. Everybody wants to feel that way. Yeah. And with Care of, you get a root, you get a routine of products, digital tools that help you feel better than ever. And Adam, you and I are a lot alike. We, we both enjoy um, taking supplements to you know kind of help. You know, sometimes it's a health issues. Sometimes maybe you just want to sleep a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to have a little bit more energy. So taking taking supplements is is kind of part of my daily routine. And Care of makes it so easy. Oh yeah. 
And all you got to do is take a short, in-depth quiz about your lifestyle and health goals for a personalized, doctor-backed recommendation, taking the guesswork out of what supplements are best suited for you. And that's like we've said before, that that's the, the big thing with care of is you don't have to stand in the store trying to figure out what you need to to take to get the benefits that you're looking for. If you take this short right. little quiz and it, it is short, they only ask a few questions and they will pick out and recommend. Here's what you want. If you don't want some of them, just remove them from the list and they won't be in your thing. But Care Of's daily vitamin packs are great for on the go and are made of a plant-based compostable film so you can stress less about your impact on the environment. And that's a that's a big deal too. When we're going on vacation, Ashley hates it when I pack big bottles of vitamins and take up mm-hmm. half the suitcase with my supplements. And these Care Of packs, you just grab one pack per day and they got everything in there. And now that they're doing the compostable film, then you don't have to worry, oh, well, every time I open one of these, I'm destroying the environment. No, it composts. It goes away. So you yeah. don't have to worry about that. And each shipment comes with a customizable pamphlet showing you exactly what's in your individual daily packs and why it was recommended specifically for you and your health goals. And not only for me personally, I, I enjoyed taking the quiz, but not only does it help when traveling, Ashley would always get upset and I get a little frustrated with it myself, having all these bottles sitting either in the bathroom by the sink or try to put them in a cabinet. And then you've taken up the whole cabinet with your vitamins. You get a little box and everything you need is in that one little box. It's so simple. Tear it open, read your inspirational quote for the day, take your vitamins and you're done. So if you want to start getting supplements in an easier way and get them delivered right to your door like Matt and I do, then you can do that. And you can also get 50% off your first care of order. All you got to do is go to takecareof.com and enter our code GRAVE50. That's G-R-A-V-E-5-0. Yeah, that's 50% off your first care of work. You won't regret it. Go to takecareof.com and enter code GRAVE50, G-R-A-V-E-5-0. All right, Matt. So that's all I've got. Why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? Well, tonight, you know, I was thinking about how to lead into this, and 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 I kept going back to when when I was a kid, I would stay at my grandparents' house um, when mom and dad were at work, and you know they didn't have cable, you know anything, but I remember just kind of. I didn't want to watch soap operas. I didn't you know, I'd watch all the game shows. But I managed to get onto In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. Oh, yeah. And even though I was young, this was this was fascinating to me. Um, all of these stories. And I, I got back into it when I was in college, and they, they re-released them on cable. But there were... Whenever I think of this topic, I always hear Leonard Nimoy discussing it. Yeah. And that topic is wormholes. Mm-hmm. And, and we've talked about wormholes on this show just in, 
while talking about something else, we're like, you know, and it could be a wormhole. And, you know, we, but we've never really dug into what wormholes are. Right. Um, and, and where they might be on, on this planet. Um, because it might surprise you that there's quite a few places that researchers think if they're, you know, if, if wormholes do exist, this place right here is a perfect spot. Mm-hmm. So, um, Adam is going to take us through, you know, the, the theories behind wormholes, what they are, how, how they would theoretically be created. And, uh, then I'm going to get into some of these locations that are suspected wormholes and why people think that. And some of these are, are pretty amazing stories. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an amazing topic and it's the, this is one of the topics that I absolutely love. It's almost up there with cryptozoology with me because it's, it's fascinating. It is a theoretical possibility. A lot of Mm -hmm. people say it happens and just the science behind it really rubs my nerdy side the right way. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, and when you, when you think about what, what people term pseudoscience and all these things, you don't think about a lot of the great names in science embracing or even theorizing about some of these topics. But the idea of wormholes comes from Einstein, Mm -hmm. essentially, um, in regards to his theory of relativity, which I'm sure Adam's going to get into more. Um, but I mean, you know, this is not something that is just, Oh yeah. Yeah. You believe in wormhole. Mm -hmm. Well, here's all the scientific, you know, evidence that they could potentially exist. Right. Right. And as we always say, go check our sources down in the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all the information and you can keep going because there is some of this science that I'm going to leave out because it's going to get a little too heady if I put it all in. But I am going to drop a big load of science on you. So be prepared for that. But uh, people, a lot of people that are a lot smarter than Matt and I did this wormhole research. And so we've got to give them the props. It, Matt and I weren't out there doing the science behind wormholes and figuring out what kind of matter it takes to open a wormhole and all that. So go check the sources and go read the actual documents from the scientist. So we got to first look at what is a wormhole. And this is from an article by Dejan Stojkovic. Um, and he says, imagine two towns on two opposite sides of a mountain. People from these towns would probably have to travel all the way around the mountain to visit one another. But If they wanted to get there faster, they could dig a tunnel straight through the mountain to create a shortcut. That's the idea behind a wormhole. Mm -hmm. A a wormhole is like a tunnel between two distant points in our universe that cuts the travel time from one point to the other. Instead of traveling for many millions of years from one galaxy to another, under the right conditions, one could theoretically use a wormhole to cut the travel time down to hours or minutes. Because wormholes represent shortcuts through space-time, they could even act like time machines. 
You might emerge from one end of a wormhole at a time earlier than when you entered the other end. Yeah. And, you know, that that sounds great when you when you put it in that in, in that analogy about the two towns. Um, when you start to think about the universe, uh, even just our solar system, I always have the difficulty of imagining how this would work how you would travel until I did something. And, and like most humans, when you picture the universe, earth is at the center of it. Sure. Yeah. Everything radiates out from the earth. So if I'm in the center and I start digging, digging a tunnel, all I'm doing is going outward. Um, so what's the difference if I travel straight or if I get a wormhole? I mean, what's the difference? But stop thinking about Earth being the center of the universe. <laughs> and it helps if you just think, okay, Earth is just like an island in this big, gigantic universe. And there may be something directly on the other side that we would have to travel all the way around to get to. And the wormhole will let us go straight there. Um, it, it makes it a little bit easier to wrap your head around astrologically. Right. And we're starting to figure out that the universe is more bubble shaped than flat, where a lot of people for many years thought it was a flat plane with the uh, maybe ridges and stuff like mountains throughout the universe. But we're starting to realize that it's spherical. So what is in between us and the next star, we may not know. And even if we wanted to travel to Pluto, you know how many years, decades it would take to get from Earth just to Pluto? Yeah. So if we wanted to do that, a wormhole could cut that time down. We could get to Mars in an hour instead of a day or or however. I, I don't remember how long it takes to get a rocket from us to Mars, but you know what I'm saying. Which is funny because it, it just seems like to me that Mars is just right there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can look up, you can see it, you know, mm -hmm. on parts of the year. Hey, look at that red. Yeah. It's Mars. Yeah. It's, it's right there. Let's go. No, it's not right there. No, it's a long ways away. <laughs> now let's look at wormhole theory a little bit. And this is an article from space.com. And there was contributions from a bunch of different people. Um, for this article, but it says wormholes were first theorized in 1916, though that wasn't what they were called at the time. While reviewing another physicist's solutions to the equations in Albert Einstein's theory of general relativity, Austrian physicist Ludwig Flam realized another solution was possible. He described a, quote, white hole, a theoretical time reversal of a black hole. Entrances to both black and white holes could be connected by a space-time conduit. Now, in 1935, Einstein and physicist Nathan Rosen used the theory of general relativity to elaborate on the idea, proposing the existence of, quote, bridges through space-time. These bridges connected two different points in space-time, theoretically creating a shortcut that could reduce travel, uh, could reduce travel time and distance. The shortcuts came to be called Einstein-Rosen bridges or wormholes. Now, if you are a fan of the 
Marvel movies and Thor, you will have heard the Einstein Rosen bridge because they mm-hmm. discuss it on that too. Um, it's made its way into just, uh, the popular vernacular of the time and Einstein Rosen bridge. If you'd asked me 15, 20 years ago, what that was, I may not have been able to tell you. Right. Yeah. I don't know that I would. Now it says wormholes contain two mouths with a throat connecting the two. According to an article published in the Journal of High Energy Physics in 2020, the mouths would most likely be spheroidal. The throat might be a a straight stretch, but it could also wind around, taking a longer path than a more conventional route might require. Einstein's theory of general relativity mathematically predicts the existence of wormholes, but none have been discovered to date. And on this, I'm going to put an asterisk. None that the majority of science are willing to admit. Right. So just kind of keep that in mind when we talk about it. It It's possible that there could be wormholes like we're going to talk about in Matt's segment, but m- most of science isn't going to admit that right now. Right. They. Science will accept the fact that theoretically they could exist. Right. Um, but they're they're not they're they're not on board with identifying yes, this is indeed a wormhole. Right. Um they've done some things to try to manipulate that. Um but it's it's not it, it's not where it where you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Not not yet at least. And right. We're probably a long way away from that. Yeah, that, that's what they theorize, is that we're a long way away from being able to actually exploit wormholes. But mm-hmm. I got a little bit on that, too, here in a minute. But this is a negative mass wormhole might be spotted by the way its gravity affects light that passes by, which is how we uh, detect black holes as well. Um, but says certain solutions of general relativity allow for the existence of wormholes where the mouth of each is a black hole. However, a naturally occurring black hole formed by the collapse of a dying star does not by itself create a wormhole. It says, quote, the whole thing is very hypothetical at this point, said Dr. Stephen uh, Sue, a professor of theoretical physics at the University of Oregon, um, who told their sister site live science that quote no one thinks we're going to find a wormhole anytime soon end quote no one thinks it's possible we could run into one tomorrow Mm -hmm. now says primordial wormholes are predicted to exist on microscopic levels about 10 to the negative 33rd centimeters however as the universe expands it is possible that some may have been stretched to larger sizes so what that's saying is primordial wormholes or one wormholes that were created when the universe was created could have been 10 to the negative 33rd centimeters, small, tiny little thing. But as the universe expands and everything stretches out, this wormhole could have stretched out kind of like I gauged my ears mm-hmm. so that I went from just the stud piercing up to a gauge. It's the same same theory as the universe stretches that hole gets bigger so the the wormhole could possibly be there from since the beginning and now it's just larger because of the stretch of the universe 
says another problem comes from stability. The predicted Einstein-Rosen wormholes would be useless for travel because they collapse quickly. So it turns out that in general relativity, the gravitational attraction of any normal matter passing through a wormhole acts to pull the tunnel shut, making a stable wormhole require some kind of extra atypical ingredient that acts to keep the wormhole open, which researchers call exotic matter. And we'll expand on that here in just a second. But basically, that's saying any wormhole that is out there, it's theorized by Einstein. If we were to pass through it or uh, any any matter, so just random matter that would fly into this wormhole, it would react with the negative charge of the wormhole and it would snap it shut. Mm -hmm. So it's like stretching a rubber band out with a stick and then you flick the stick away. That rubber band's going to pop shut. That's what any regularly charged matter would do. So to keep it open, they're saying you need this exotic matter mixed in with the negative matter of the wormhole in order to keep it open no matter what passes through it. Right. So this says, quote, you, you would need some exotic type of matter in order to stabilize a wormhole, said Dr. Sue. And it's not clear whether such matter actually exists in the universe. But more recent research found that a wormhole containing, quote, exotic matter could stay open and unchanging for longer periods of time. Now, exotic matter, which should not be confused with dark matter or antimatter, contains negative energy density and a large negative pressure. Such matter has only been seen in the behavior of certain vacuum states as a part of quantum field theory. So they theorize that it could exist. However, none has been detected, so they don't know if it actually exists or if it's just theoretical. But to me, if, if you're saying this is theoretical, well, you're already admitting that wormholes were theoretical in Einstein's day, but now we believe they could actually exist. So don't poo-poo the exotic matter just because it's theoretical. Because we've already proven a lot of theoretical things do exist. Right. So I'm, don't... I mean, when, when you look at atomic science, um, you know, all, all of that was theoretical at some point. Um, before they had the ability and the technology to actually look at it, right? Um, and and be able to tell, you know, hey, guess what? There, there's these electrons and neutrons and positrons, protons and, and yeah, and we can we we can get down to actually see that that we're right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that is kind of where we are with wormholes now. It's, right. We we can't we can we can theorize that they're there. We we see some scientific evidence that leads us to believe that it there's that potential. But we're not at a point where we could actually identify it and say 100% that that's what it is. But we were there with all this other stuff. Yeah, so, like black holes, for example. Einstein theorized the possibility of black holes. It wasn't until many decades later that we observed a black hole. Right. And we found one at the center of our universe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, just because it's theoretical doesn't mean that it's going to stay theoretical for the entirety of humankind. 
Now, this goes on to say that if a wormhole contains sufficient exotic matter, whether naturally occurring or artificially added, it could theoretically be used as a method of sending information or travelers through space, according to live science. Unfortunately, human journeys through the space tunnels may be challenging. It says, quote, the jury is not in, so we just don't know. Physicist Kip Thorne, one of the world's leading authorities on rel- relativity, black holes, and wormholes, told Space.com. Quote, but there are very strong indications that wormholes that a human could travel through are forbidden by the laws of physics. That's sad. That's unfortunate. But that's the direction in which things are pointing, end quote. So they think because of what we talked about, the matter snapping wormholes shut, not allowing them to go. They they're saying now it seems as though due to our laws of physics that a a wormhole that we could travel through wouldn't exist. However, there's been a lot of things that we talk about that people witness, experience, have done that do not coincide with the laws of physics that we know. Right. So I, to me, I, I, I get it. They have to go off the laws of physics that they know and the science that they know. I'm not a scientist, so I can theorize out my wazoo here about whatever, and I'm going to. I, I, I believe that there are wormholes out there that contain a sufficient amount of exotic matter for us to be able to go through that would defy our laws of physics. Yeah. Because our laws of physics are just laws of physics that we have witnessed. Exactly. So if we haven't witnessed it, we can't add to it. Our laws of physics may be different in a hundred years. We may have added a bunch of things that we didn't think would ever be possible to it. Or the laws of physics may be different in other parts of the universe. Exactly. Um, And, you know, there, there's always that idea that says, you know, what if another race that's been around a lot longer than humans um, has been able to figure it out or at least figure it out on based on their laws of physics. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it becomes, and I, but I think it's a good thing because when you, when you begin to take our laws of physics as we know them and just kind of pitch them aside to make it, well, look, if, if we just imagine that these laws of physics don't exist, we could do this and this. I think that's when it really starts to bleed into pseudoscience. Yeah. You know, if you if you take out the laws of physics, then all bets are off. You can say whatever you want. Right. Okay. Right. But keeping it within, you know, like Adam said, within the laws of physics as we know them now, um, it 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 gives more credibility to this. Mm-hmm. Now. This next section I've got is, so how do wormholes work? Well, it says wormholes may not only connect two separate regions within the universe, they could also connect two different universes. Similarly, some scientists have conjectured that if one mouth of a wormhole is moved in a specific manner, it could allow for time travel. So, quote, you can go into the future or into the past using traversable wormholes, astrophysicist Eric Davis told Live Science, but it won't be easy. 
It would take a Herculean effort to turn a wormhole into a time machine. It's going to be tough enough to pull off a wormhole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you know, it's kind of like, okay, slow down. We're, yeah. We're, we're, we haven't even, we haven't even gotten to the wormhole part yet. Yeah. You know, much less turning one into a time machine. Right. Right. It says, however, British cosmologist Stephen Hawking has argued that such use is not possible. He says, quote, a wormhole is not really a means of going back in time. It's a shortcut. So that something that was far away is much closer, according to NASA's Eric Christian. Although adding exotic matter to a wormhole might stabilize it to the point that human passengers could travel safely through it, there is still the possibility that the addition of, quote, regular matter would be sufficient to destabilize the portal. So, again, you're going back to that. If we pass through it, our matter may close it up. Yep. Now, it says today's technology is insufficient to enlarge or stabilize wormholes, even if they could be found. However, scientists continue to explore the concept as a method of space travel with the hopes that technology will eventually be able to utilize them. Quote, you would need some super, super advanced technology, Dr. Sue says. Humans won't be doing this anytime in the near future that he theorizes. Right. We, we could. I mean, now, with all that being Look, said, one could open up right over Chicago tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Probably won't. But no, it could. it's possible. <laughs> now, with all that being said, uh, does that mean that we haven't observed wormholes yet? Well, this comes from Science Alert. It says hypothetical bridges connecting distant regions of space and time could more or less look like garden variety black holes, meaning it's possible these mythical beasts of physics have already been seen. Thankfully, however, if a new model proposed by a small team of physicists from Sofia University in Bulgaria is accurate, there could still be a way to tell them apart. It says, play around with Einstein's general theory of relativity long enough, it's possible to show how the space-time background of the universe can form not only deep gravitational pits where nothing escapes, but it can also form impossible mountain peaks, which can't be climbed. Well, unlike their dark cousins, these glowing hills would shun anything that drew near, potentially belching out streams of particles and radiation that had no hope of ever turning back. Setting aside the distinct possibility that the Big Bang looks just like one of these, quote, white holes, nothing of its like has ever been observed. Nonetheless, they remain an interesting concept for exploring the edges of the greatest theories in physics. Now, in, in the 1930s, as we talked about, a colleague of Einstein's named Nathan Rosen showed there was nothing to say the deeply curved space-time of a black hole couldn't connect to the steep peaks of a white hole to form some kind of bridge. In this corner of physics, our everyday expectations on distance and time go out the window, meaning such a theoretical link could traverse vast stretches of the cosmos. Under the right circumstances, it might even be possible for matter to ride this cosmic tube and come out on the other end with its information more or less intact. So, to determine what this black hole, what this black hole with a butthole might look like to <laughs> observatories, like the Advent Horizon Telescope, the Sophia, Uni Sophia University team developed a simplified model of a wormhole's throat as a magnetized ring of fluid and made various assumptions on how matter would circle it prior to being swallowed. Particles caught up in the furious maelstrom 
would produce powerful electromagnetic fields that would roll and snap in predictable patterns, polarizing any light emitted by the heated material with a clear signature. It it was the tracing of polarized radio waves that gave us the first stunning images of M87 in 2019 and Sagittarius A uh, after that. A typical wormhole's smoking hot lips, it turns out, would be hard to distinguish from the polarized light emitted by the swirling disk of chaos surrounding a black hole. By that logic, M87 could very well be a wormhole. In fact, wormholes could be lurking at the end of black holes everywhere, and we would have no easy way of knowing. That's not to say there's no way of knowing at all. If we were to strike it lucky and stitch together an image of a candidate wormhole as seen indirectly through a decent gravitational lens, subtle properties that distinguish wormholes from black holes just might become apparent. This would require a conveniently placed mass in between us and the wormhole to distort its light sufficiently to magnify the small differences. Of course, but it would at least give us a means of confidently spotting which dark patches of emptiness have a black uh, a back exit. So they're still looking, they're trying, and they have ways of being able to figure out if something could potentially be a wormhole because of the way the light is bent around it, same way we find black holes now. They just haven't observed one yet. And kids, this is why it's so important to consider quantum physics as a career. Stay in school. <laughs> That's right. But as we as we mentioned at the top of the show, nobody we, we can't necessarily identify a wormhole yet. But when we begin to theorize about what could the potential be of a wormhole, uh, a lot of researchers have looked at paranormal activity and given a kind of a wormhole is what fits right here. You know, right? It's like it's like all these all these oddities throughout history all the way from you know ancient structures up to you know modern day ufo sightings they seem to have a missing puzzle piece that just happens to be shaped like a wormhole mm -hmm. okay? so there's a lot of researchers that feel like that they see the evidence of these wormholes all over the world so we're going to talk about some of these places and why these researchers are saying this could be a potential wormhole. Let's start in, uh, in Arizona, more specifically in Sedona, Arizona. Now, Sedona is a small town uh, that was once known by the Native American tribes as Nawanda. And at one time, it was a sacred city to them. Now, it's said that the red rocks of the desert that surround the small town can create vortexes with the capability of transporting people to another realm or dimension. Native Americans believed that these rocks were spiritually charged, uh, while sounds emanating from them have been reported. You know, we, we, uh, we understand that everything in the universe vibrates. You know, 
it vibrates at a at a at a different frequency, and those those vibrations emanate out. These particular red rocks, um, they they do this too, and you know it's it's at a level that could be studied. Now, in the mountains of Arizona, they they claim uh, that this area is the quote doorway of the gods. It is a strange stone arch um, that looks kind of like a portal um, that would go to another time and space. Mm-hmm. In the 1950s, a local tribesman was aiding treasure hunters who were searching for gold in the mountains. And he told them a story from his people dating back to the 1800s. There were three tribesmen who had discovered the archway while riding in the desert. Now, the story goes that when one of them walked through, he simply disappeared. The other two, believing they had encroached on sacred land, fled the scene. Now, this helpful tribesman stated, that he had also seen a strange incident at the alleged doorway. While out in the desert, a sudden rainstorm hit the area and turned the skies gray with clouds. As he turned to leave, he caught a glimpse of the archway and saw that the skies through the arch were clear blue. That's wild. Yeah. He walked closer to it, seeing that the archway's image of the mountain range was the same, and the only difference was the sky. However, he too became pretty scared and got on his horse and headed home. He told the treasure hunters that only his people knew of the story. He had only spoken of it because they had shown him kindness and to serve warning not to walk through the archway if they came across it. So, that one is uh that one's pretty intriguing. Um, you know, you can look up pictures of the archway. It, you know, it's it's odd. <laughs> I mean, it's odd that it's there. It's it's odd in the in the structure of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, very little is known about it at all. Other makes than you wonder that, why it's there in the first place. If it's exactly. not something like that, why is it there? Right, right. Um. It's just it's it's a really unique thing. You don't hear a, hear a lot about it, um, but you know the stories behind it. Like we said, they come from you know Native American stories. So, um, you know we don't we don't just we don't have a lot of research on it. Now the next place I want to talk about is Abydos, Egypt. Now, one of the oldest cities in, of ancient Egypt. Abydos is perhaps one of the most important sites in Egyptology, and it's definitely one of the most interesting. Now, in particular, the Temple of Seti uh, appears to show hieroglyphs of modern flying machines, such as a helicopter, as well as what some would describe as a flying saucer. And I'd say a lot, if you're into any of this stuff, you've seen these images. Mm-hmm. Um, you know these odd hieroglyphs that, like, yeah, this looks like a flying saucer, right? And maybe even more amazing is how a lot of the site was discovered. 
a lady named Dorothy Eady had claimed to be the reincarnation of an Egyptian peasant girl named Bentrashit. And she was the secret lover of Pharaoh Seti. Now, she had become pregnant with his child, but before he could learn of the pregnancy, the peasant girl took her own life. Now, in the 20th century, Dorothy was able to transcribe ancient Egyptian texts and even knew where the archaeologists should dig to excavate the remains of the ancient city. How in the world would this woman have known any of that? She seemingly knew where everything was, such as where secret chambers were and the location of gardens that had long since been buried. By the time they discovered precisely where she said they would be, people very much believed that her story was genuine. Now, strangely enough, people also witnessed Dorothy pressing on certain stones in the walls as if she was expecting something to happen when she did that. It was as if she was trying to open a secret door or gateway. In fact, she had already spoken about these hidden doors that used to be there. In 2003, Michael Schratt, a military aerospace engineer, stated that Abydos did sit on a naturally occurring stargate. Now, I don't know how he came to that. I don't know. It sounds good, though. I like it. I love that. I love the term stargate. Mm-hmm. Not just the show, either. That's right. I loved the show. Now, even more controversial is that the U.S. government, which was very much aware of this, and had actually utilized it. Hmm. Again, that's, I, I, need, I need more. I need more yep. than that. That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> but, um, but there's a lot of questions. You know, was this is what the Edie lady was looking for when she was pressing those stones in the wall? is opening this Stargate. Now, aside from the unusual helicopter hieroglyphs, comparisons have been made to the paintings of Egyptian boats that were said to carry its passengers to the next world in the stars. Oh, yeah. Being very similar to how modern-day scientists would portray a wormhole, or at least the theory of one. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's... Again, super interesting. And and it's Egypt, which, you know, when we start talking about that ancient aliens idea, it it all it all goes back to Egypt. So yeah. if something like this was gonna exist, Egypt would be where I would start. I mean, you know, I there's just so much there. Um, you know, that points to this knowledge that ancient Egyptians had that we're not fully aware of. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of theories too, that I feel like we've discussed them on other shows that death, when you die, you basically enter a wormhole and move to the next plane of existence. Mm -hmm. That's why people see white light rushing at them. Mm -hmm. looks like a tunnel that they're going through. That's just white light. There's a lot of theories that that when you die, you access this wormhole to the next plane. Yeah. I, I mean, so the, the boat theory from 
ancient Egyptians. I mean, maybe you don't need a boat, but maybe they were on the right path with that. That's right. That's right. Again, they were using what they knew. Right. You know, if this is how this works, then maybe it's a boat that, Mm -hmm. you know, is a conveyance from one to the other because that made sense to them. Right. That's how they moved around a river. So. Right. Now, let's talk about the Renmasu Yuana Stargate in Sri Lanka. Now. Easy for you to say. It's impossible for me to say. (laughs) Now, this is carved carved on a massive piece of stone wall and mostly hidden between the boulders and cave systems of Ranmasu Yuana is what is believed to be a star map or a star chart. Now, the symbols carved on the rock are said to be a code that opens the stargate and allows the opener to travel from this world to other areas of the universe. Directly opposite the star map are four stone seats or or chairs. And the name of the star chart is Sakwala Chakraya, which is believed to mean the rotating circle of the universe. Now, according to Sinhala interpretation, Sakwala means universe and uh, Shakraya means rotating circle or disc. And um, in a lot of ancient Native American languages, it means stargate. Hmm. So stargates or portals were represented by rotating circles. Similar star maps have also been found in other ancient city, other ancient sites and have been said to be stargates, such as the Abu Ghraib in Egypt, and many uh, many other ancient sites in the Andes of South America, which, you know, what do we know about the Andes in South America? That's the second place I would go and look. You know, mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, Machu Picchu and the the Mayans. Yeah, that's, that's the next place you go. There's apparently a lot of um, Yeti sightings there, too. So maybe the Yeti are exploiting that wormhole. Yeah. Maybe that's why we don't find dead Yetis and dead Sasquatches. Right. You know, like they, we, they traverse through another dimension. Yeah. Like we theorized, maybe they're just hunting over here using right. this, the wormholes that naturally occur mm-hmm. and they know how to exploit them where we don't. Right. All right. I, I need, I need Adam. I need Adam's help with this word. Oh, um, Tijuanaco, Bolivia. Oh, I think I did okay on that. Yeah, I, I, I probably would say Tijuanaco. Okay, but you you can say it that way. I'll probably <laughs> say it. I'll probably say it different three or four more. Times. <laughs> anyway, this is known as the Gate of the Sun. Now, it's believed by some to be a portal to the land of the gods. The Gate of the Sun in Bolivia shares much of, it, much of its legends with other similar sites in the Andes region. Now, Tiawanaka, Tiawanaco, mm-hmm. is that how you said it? Okay. Yep. Now, the city is said to be one of the most important sites in ancient America, with legends stating that the sun god, Viracocha, appeared in Tiawanaco 
I screwed it up that time <laughs> and made it the place of creation, the place he chose to start the human race. A car from one block of stone and thought to be about 14,000 years old. The gateway displays what appears to be human beings with rectangular helmets. Now, this has led many researchers to state the purpose of the gate is indeed connected to something astronomical. Um, but that can be debated. Uh, the top middle of the arch features a carving of the supposed sun god and shows what look to be rays of light appearing behind and forcing their way around all sides of the deity's head. Although it now stands upright, when it was found by European explorers in the mid-1800s, it was said to have been lying down horizontally. It also appears to have a large crack in the top right of the arch, and of course, there's, it's unknown how that, how that happened. Uh, you know, um, Once you crack it, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's done. It may be broke, you know, you're yep. going to have to, you know, I don't know where you find some, you know, astrophysical uh, epoxy to <laughs> put that stuff back together. And you got to take another wormhole to the um, the other dimensions Walmart and get you some. <laughs> yeah, the interdimensional Walmart. Mm -hmm. And right next to it is a Dollar General store and a Walgreens. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's like that, uh, uh, the restaurant at the edge of the universe. From yeah, Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, there's there's a lot of other places. Um, Stonehenge in Wiltshire, England, has long been suspected to have an astro astrological connection. But the mysterious Michigan Stonehenge at the bottom of Lake Michigan appears to be more of a candidate to be a wormhole. Now, we've talked about this, the Michigan Stonehenge, on a show before. Um, Adam and I talked about it earlier this week. I don't recall us talking about wormholes in connection with this. No. But listen to this. Seems to fit. In 1891, a schooner named the Thomas Hume vanished into thin air along with all seven of its crew while sailing on the lake. In 1921, the 11 people who were aboard the Rosa Bell disappeared without a trace, but their boat was found floating lifelessly in the water. In 1937, while on board the O.M. McFarland as it made its way along Lake Michigan, Captain Donner retired to his quarters to get some much-needed rest after a long shift on deck. Three hours later, the second mate went to wake his captain. Finding the door locked from the inside and with no response from the captain, he eventually broke down the door to the room. With the captain's quarters empty and all windows locked shut, Captain Donner had simply vanished. And, and we talked about those things when we discussed the Michigan Stonehenge and the Michigan Triangle. Mm -hmm. But when you when you look at it through the lenses of a wormhole, does it? You're kind of like, yeah, that does kind of that does kind of fit. Yeah. Um, with with the way these entire ships or the, the entire crew of a ship or sometimes individual members just disappear while you know cruising right above 
this odd formation of stones at the bottom of the lake. Yeah, it it seems like it could be. I mean, especially with the whole ships going missing. That's right. You yeah, would I mean, wonder how one person on a ship could go missing unless they passed through this wormhole in and out. And for some reason, he didn't make it out yeah. and stayed in wherever. But uh, it's a possibility. All no. the disappearances are weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they are weird. And it makes you think about uh, Bermuda Triangle, mm-hmm. um, you know, now Michigan Triangle and uh, the Bridgewater Triangle. And, and what do we know about those places? is that it's not just weird disappearances. It's a conglomeration of paranormal events. It's it's UFO sightings. It's Bigfoot sightings. It's, you know, bizarre uh, physical anomalies in all those places that add to the mystique uh, of what they are. And it, it makes you wonder... The question I have about that is, is the the wormhole itself causing these things, Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, whatever, to pass through from another universe to our universe and then we're seeing them? Or is the energy from this wormhole attracting the phenomena from other places? And because of the energy of this wormhole in one area, because in the even the scientists say that it's going to be a highly charged, highly negatively charged space. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, would that high negative energy be like reading on a UFO's meters or something? And they say, hey, I've got to go here. Right. Or is it them just exploiting it to go in and out? Yeah. Yeah. All of that. I love it. I love it. All of it. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Because what we have to remember that, you know, the the existence of a wormhole requires an immense amount of energy. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about hauntings and ghosts, What's the one thing that always comes back around? Energy. Yep. Negative energy, whatever. There's there's some type of energy source that's fueling, you know, the 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 spirits that hang around these locations. Right. So thinking about that, let's talk about another place that's not an ancient site. And it's another place that we have done a show about. It has been speculated that a wormhole could be to blame for the excessive reported activity at Skinwalker Ranch. I'm I'm glad you're getting into this because uh, for you at home, uh, Matt and I a lot of times don't discuss what the other one has just so that it's a... a we we know the general idea, but we don't know the specifics of what the person has grabbed so that we can react naturally. I'm glad you brought this up because if you hadn't, I was going to discuss this at the end. So this it's good. We can talk yeah. about that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad because I think you're going to have some input here that I want. Um, now 
During the Netflix docuseries, The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, after witnessing a research balloon and two UFOs just disappear, mm-hmm. astrophysicist Travis Taylor proposed the idea that the uh, Uinta Basin could be the site of a wormhole. Now, Taylor theorizes that the bowl shape of the basin, which is about 70 miles, yeah. could be the site of a wormhole um, because the, that curved basin works like a lens that focuses tremendous energy to a point above the surface of the earth. Right. Now, so think about it like light rays coming into this lens. Uh-huh. When it bounces off, it focuses it all to one singular point. Mm-hmm. So the way I, I thought about it was if all this energy from the cosmic background and from the sun and everything is focusing down onto the earth, mm-hmm. if his theory is correct, then the Uinta Basin is reflecting it up and all of it's converging at one point to create such a strong uh, electric electromagnetic field or whatever in that one position that a wormhole opened up Mm -hmm. because of the amount of energy there. Right. And this is bolstered um, by the readings that a large amount of radiation was emanating from far above the ranch. Right. So the disappearance of the balloon, the, the UFO sightings, and then the, the Geiger readings that they're getting point to, some type of of radiation source that's at like a hundred thousand feet, right? And to, to expand on the balloon thing, so people who haven't seen it don't go. Well, I mean, balloons go up and we lose track of them. This was a weather balloon that had electronic gear on it for measuring mm-hmm. the height of the balloon, the radiation in the area, the electromagnetic field, all this stuff. And it had a tracker on it so that they could go pick it up when it landed, just like most weather balloons do. It was tracking up, 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 up. And it got to that point that Matt mentioned, and they lost all readings from every yeah. device on this thing. Not just one, not yeah. just the tracker. Every bit of information that was beaming back down from this balloon to their uh, receiver devices just shut out all at one time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a slow fade like they burned out. They all shut off and they never found the balloon. They never found the instruments, nothing. Yep. And it got up to that point that Matt mentioned and just boop, nothing. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. Totally bizarre. I mean, totally bizarre. Um, but that, that as they, as they get into that idea, as Travis presents that idea that this, could be a wormhole and a wormhole kind of fits into the puzzle. You know, they're, they're tinkering with the idea of what is, what is the source? Um, right. Are, are we talking about the, the, uh, you into basin working as a reflector, like Adam said, where energy is pouring down and it focuses it all to this point. Or as, as, uh, Taylor says, is there an, an energy source underneath it? Or if you're right. thinking about this lens behind it. Right. And now the energy's coming up from the earth. And now this, this big, you know, parabola is focusing it down at a point 
right. uh, above the earth. So it would be the difference between naturally and artificially occurring wormhole. Mm-hmm. Naturally would be if just the normal radiation is bouncing down and it's shooting back up like a lens. Artificially would be there is some something under the surface of the earth that is emitting this energy and then being focused by the quote lens of the UN basin. Right. So you've got two different options is what he's basically saying. Either it's naturally occurring or it's artificially occurring, being manipulated by something mm-hmm. that we don't know. Yeah. Now, Brandon Fugel, who purchased Skinwalker Ranch from Robert Bigelow in 2016, stated that Bigelow cautioned him about the forces at work on the ranch. Fugel also related stories from Bigelow's team and other researchers who claim to have witnessed portals open up in midair, giving them a window-like view into another world with different landscapes, okay? This is very similar um, to the story we had earlier where the, the Native American looked back in the middle of a storm and saw clear weather looking through that the arch. Right, okay? right. Same kind of principle. They're, they see these weird portals appear and it looks like they've just opened up a window that you're looking into something's totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, different weather, different landscape, different sky, all of that. Okay. And this this was reported multiple times around the property. Now and the go ahead. Not to not to keep interrupting you, but that the wormhole opening up in different spots. Um they this new team that's there have actually uh, um, captured on their meters and stuff, a fluctuating radiation throughout the ranch. Mm-hmm. So one one minute there'll be high radiation in one area, enough to make their radiation detectors go off, and then within a few minutes it's gone and it's moved somewhere else. Yeah. So it's not a constant thing. Plus they've had. Uh, ultrasound, which we have talked about, uh, ultrasound, infrasound, that kind of thing, uh, permeate through where they've caught it on their meters and it's made one of them kind of nauseous and then it goes away and it stops. And what I think is, okay, if it's artificial wormhole being manipulated by something, then that could be the changing of frequencies that could be something that they're dialing things in. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden they're messing with the knobs or they're messing with the focus of something. And the radiation spikes here for a second until it traverses back to where they need it to open this wormhole. Right. Right. And so that, that leans towards in intelligent manipulation. Yep. That exactly. something is controlling. it. Um, you know, if, if we're talking about a, uh, an energy source that's under the ground. Right. Right. Um, but back in, in 2001, Fugel tweeted about the research that was going on at the ranch and said, quote, I agree with Dr. Davis. We have observed phenomena during our current investigation, supporting the theory that wormholes or portals to other worlds or dimensions exist on Skinwalker ranch. Um, yeah. And I, it's it's just bizarre, and if you remember 
back when we talked about Skinwalker Ranch, all the things that happen there. Uh, there's UFO sighting. Um, there is cattle mutilation, bizarre cattle mutilation. Um, there have been uh, stories from the, I think it was the Myers um, that, that had the property that had, uh, had installed all the locks on, uh, on, on the, on the doors and, and windows, everything, you know, mm-hmm. and not only that, like the cabinets had locks, um, yeah. yep. because, yep. because groceries would fly out of, uh, out, out of shelves and stuff. I mean, th- this was like almost poltergeist like activity they were experiencing there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it runs the gamut. I mean, strange lights. I mean, you know, odd electrical occurrences during storms. Um, you know, the, the, the typical stuff we see where electronics don't want to work right. Batteries drain. It's, I mean, you know, so you name it, it happens at this place. And that seems to be the direction that the, the theories point is that, you know, something like a wormhole is going on right there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it may not be possible for a wormhole to transport matter in a way that we understand, at least not yet. But as we talked about, what if other beings from different points on opposite sides of the wormhole have figured it out? And the Uinta Basin is the gateway to our side. That, that's essentially what, what Adam is saying, that there's an, an intelligent uh, entity that says we can control this. We can, we right. can make it work. Now, there's one last story I want to discuss, and it's one we covered a few years ago on a different episode. And I want to get Adam's thoughts on this particular story with the idea of wormholes in mind. Okay. Okay. Now, Adam, you'll remember this story. I'm sure this is in our time travel episode. Now, in 1979, Cynthia and Lynn Gisby were traveling on holiday from England to Spain with another couple. Now, while driving through France, the couples decided they should stop and spend the night in a hotel. Being unable to find any vacancies, they kept driving until they found an unpaved road lined with old-fashioned buildings and signs. They did find a hotel, but oddly enough, the hotel did not have telephones. They also noticed that rooms had wooden latches instead of metal locks, feather beds, and windows with no glass. Despite, Despite this, the couples embraced what appeared to be a themed hotel and described the wonderful food and fresh beer available there. The next morning, they saw two police officers dressed in period clothing from the early 1900s. The couples asked directions to the nearest motorway, but the officers appeared to have no idea what they were talking about. The bill for their stay was about 19 francs, which in 1979 uh, equated to about $5. The couples eventually were back on their way, but intended to stop there again on their way home. Now, while traveling back to England, the couples were unable to find the road or the little town, being sure they had the right location, but 
just assuming that it was possible they had missed a turn somewhere along the way. And so they just went on home. Now, the couples had taken many photographs of their vacation, but noticed that none of the pictures they had taken around the hotel came out. Now, in the in that episode, we discussed this as being a time slip. Mm-hmm. Okay. The couples just happened upon a portal that led them to an earlier time for that area. But what do you think, Adam, about this potentially being a wormhole location? I think it's highly probable that it could be a wormhole location because as we know, scientists have even theorized that wormholes can move you in time. Mm-hmm. If the mouth of the wormhole is manipulated in a certain way, then it can act as a time machine rather than just a highway. Yeah. So I think it's highly possible. And I also think it's highly possible that we have traversing, for lack of a better term, traversing wormholes on the planet that can that, that we can say account for these time slips mm-hmm. where okay we've got some that people theorize are always there like the Michigan triangle stuff like that but we know there is a, a radiation background on the earth mm-hmm. and we know there's different parts of the earth that have higher energies than other parts So what if there are wormholes that just pop up and close randomly Yeah, and they just happened to go through a wormhole that had spontaneously opened up and they were lucky enough to get back out of the wormhole before it shut. Mm -hmm. As I think if we're talking in that sense, then some of these missing 411s could be walking into a spontaneous wormhole that opened up and either their matter going through the mouth of the wormhole closed it or it just closed as it naturally does, and they were unable to get out. Yeah. So I think these people probably did stumble onto a wormhole that took them to a past time, mm-hmm. which would be a time slip, which I think probably all of our time slip stories and theories could hinge back to wormholes. Mm-hmm. And I agree. They just happened to be able to get in and out of one, or they got in one, it closed, and maybe it's a, maybe it's like the old faithful of wormholes, where every so often it pops up, and then it closes, and then it pops up, and then it closes in the same spot. Maybe they just happened to hit it right, and on their way back through, it wasn't the right time. They didn't show up at the exact time of day that they did before, so they were unable to get back through it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I completely agree. And we already, you know, have scientists saying that, you know, the the potential that these wormholes were microscopic. You know, Mm -hmm. you have a tendency to think on this grand scale. But, you know, if you if you narrow it down and you think, okay, at some point in time, this wormhole could have been, you know, uh, uh, you know, the size of an atom. Yeah, 10 to the negative 33rd nanometers or whatever. And then over time, it stretches as the Mm -hmm. universe expands to the point that at this particular point in 1979, it was large enough that you could look through it and 
and see the road and the town and the signage and everything and go right in. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, I mean, that story has always fascinated me. Um, because the Gisbys do not seem like the type of people that are just looking for attention. And there um, were a bunch of them. There yeah, wasn't there, just there one was, person. It wasn't just, yeah, it wasn't just a single individual. It was four. Um, you know, the, the, the Gisbys are the two that, um, related the story. So they're the names, the, the other couple, we don't know their name. Um, but you know, something weird happened to them and it can, it, it could potentially based on what we've discussed during this episode, a wormhole. And, yep. uh, you know, but, it, it may not be, but it's, it's got It's, it's so, it's so amazing to even talk about this kind of stuff and consider the possibility that that's what happened. Yep. And I, I honestly think that if, if you put your, put your mind around the fact that wormholes do exist and that they can randomly occur and we just don't have the technology to detect them. I think a lot of different paranormal encounters can be explained by wormholes, Mm -hmm. whether it be a creature from another dimension that has popped through a wormhole. You know, you talk dogmen or the beast of Bray Road or or Bigfoot, Nessie, whatever. What if there is a, a wormhole that randomly opens up in Loch Ness and Nessie's able to swim in and out? And it's yeah. not the same one. It's just something from another dimension that comes in and out. And I, I think it can explain a lot if you wrap your head around the fact that there are these wormholes Mm -hmm. and it would be awesome if a that is true and b one day we're able to detect these wormholes so you've got meters in say your local science hut um whatever you want to call it some science building they've got meters in it and they can say okay we we are detecting that at 1 30 p.m next tuesday there will be a wormhole open up here. So unless you want to go wherever the hell this thing takes, you stay away from this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, the, the way my brain can run off on these tangents with this topic, I know. It, it it's why I love topics like this so much. I know. I know. And it's, it's so much fun to, to sit down and start pitching out all these, these stories, and theories, and then, Imagine, what if it's a wormhole? You know, mm-hmm. What you know? Again, you you have to kind of buy into the fact that they exist, um, to be able to apply that as a quote unquote explanation for some of these things. But you know, right or wrong, it it's fun and it, it's it's fascinating to talk about. And and I want to know love, what you guys. Stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I want to know what you guys think. What what phenomena, what experiences, anything like that, do you think could be explained by the existence of wormholes? Yeah. I, w- I want to know what what all you can email us or put it in the Facebook group or whatever. But when this episode comes out, I, I, I want to hear your theories of what paranormal activity do you think could be explained 
by a wormhole, either generally or a specific event. Like if you have a specific paranormal encounter that you've read about and you go, wait a minute, after hearing this episode, that could have been a wormhole. I want to know. I'm interested. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. Go on Facebook, search Graveyard Tales. You'll find it. We call it the Graveyard, and it's one of the absolute best groups I've ever been a part of. Um, Mm -hmm. We've got thousands of active members in there. They're sharing personal experiences, uh, sharing some, some jokes and, and some general discussions about, you know, topics we cover on the show and, and other things. Um, and, and it's just great. And you don't have to be worried about, man, is my boss going to see me on here talking about this story? Think I'm a loony? Nope. It's a completely private group. And if your boss sees mm-hmm. that story, it's because he's into it too. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, don't forget to go rate and review us on iTunes. It brings us up the chart. Um, and, and that makes it easier for people to find the show. Um, go to graveyardpodcast.com and that's where you can find links to purchase graveyard tells merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And as Adam mentioned at the top of the show, um, something we're adding new for this year, our $10 patrons will get the ad free version of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. so if you've, if you've been on the fence about it, um, and you you get, you know, sick, sick of hearing, uh, Adam and I, uh, promoting, uh, other products, then, you know, for 10 bucks, you can get the show ad free from beginning to end. Yep. Man, I tell you what, this has been a lot of fun, Adam. I mean, Mm -hmm. we, we could probably continue to talk about this stuff for another couple of hours, but we're not. So (laughs) until next time. We'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Okay, like we promised, bonus story tonight. And this one comes from Phyllis. Phyllis, we're sorry that we we left your story out. It wasn't intentional. But yep. we're I suck. I apologize. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna bring it to you now. So Phyllis says. Let me begin by saying that I have always been a magnet for supernatural events, and as a result, have had my fair share of spooky encounters over the years. The story I'm going to share is one of the scariest things that has ever happened to me. In the early 80s, as a single 20-something, I lived with my parents in rural upstate New York. We had lived in the same house outside of a small city for many years, when my parents felt it was time for a change. The three of us had toured a number of houses, but were unsuccessful in finding something we all liked. One night around dusk, we were running errands in town when we came across a detour and we were rerouted through the historic district. This was not an area we typically traversed, so I became intrigued by the tree-lined streets, Victorian houses, and ornamental light fixtures. After a block or so, I noticed a for sale sign in front of a massive stone structure set back from the road. I asked my dad to slow the car down, which he did, as we admired this beautiful atmospheric house nearly obscured by century-old oaks. My attention was soon drawn to the dark wooden front doors with beveled glass panes. 
I'd seen a figure walk by from one end to the other. She had dark hair piled high on her head, and she appeared to wear a dark gown of some type. She looked straight ahead as she walked and didn't seem to notice our car. I immediately asked my mom if she had seen what I saw, but she seemed confused by the question and obviously had not. The next morning, we called the realtor listed on the sign, and within weeks, sight unseen, my parents had bought the house. We discovered the house had stood empty for five years, so some renovation and painting were necessary. After a few weeks, we moved in. The first time I set foot in the house, I felt a strong female presence and not a welcoming one. Our dog, normally friendly and happy, often retreated to my parents' room upstairs and avoided some rooms altogether, mine included. Many unexplainable events took place on a regular basis throughout the months we lived there, too many to name. There was the typical doors opening and closing with no human assistance, footsteps on the stairs when I was home alone, lights went on and off by themselves, but above all, there was the female present. I called Emily. On the first day, I chose the bedroom at the far end of the hall and at the top of the servant stairs. From night one and most nights afterwards, I would hear what could best be described as a swishing sound, ascending each step, stopping at my door. This sound never seemed to continue down the long hallway where the other bedrooms were situated. It stopped outside my door and then it was still. This went on for weeks. Finally, one morning I mentioned it to my parents at breakfast. Mom let me know that she hadn't heard anything, and my dad suggested that we had mice in the walls. Still, an exterminator wasn't summoned until about a week later when the bats began appearing. Oh, geez. <laughs> I would be sitting in our expansive living room watching TV when a bat would come out of nowhere and inevitably would be shooed out one of the doors by my dad in a broom. After a couple of encounters with the bats, my dad called an exterminator. I happened to be home from work the day the team arrived and inspected every inch and crevice of the 4,000-square-foot, 100-year-old Victorian. Nothing was found. No evidence of bats. No idea how they could be entering the house. Suddenly, the nightly intruders stopped coming, and we never saw another bat. Another unnerving event that occurred frequently were doors being left open. Every door in the house was made of solid oak and about two inches or more in thickness. The door that bothered me most belonged to the enclosed porch at the top of the staircase. None of us used the porch. The first and only time I walked out there, my entire body had goosebumps, and I knew I would never use it. Therefore, we kept the door closed and locked. Yep, locked. Many times, I would come home from work, climb the stairs to my room, and be confronted with an odd chill, and the porch door would be wide open. Uh. The house seemed to have a mind of its own, and I didn't like to be there alone under any circumstances. Once when my parents were out of town, I was working late and asked them to leave the lights on as I would be returning after dark. When I arrived home, the house was dark. As I approached the door, 
to unlock it, fumbling with my keychain flashlight, the lights came back on. This sort of thing happened a lot. The worst incident, and the reason I'm writing, happened on a stormy spring night about six months after we had moved in. My parents were in the living room watching TV. I was at my desk with my back to the bedroom door, rightfully closed as always. I heard the swishing sound on the back staircase. As I prayed, we would not lose electricity. Uh, As I prayed, we would not lose electricity. It sounded as though some sort of material was being dragged step by step. This time, for whatever reason, I'd had enough. When the sound stopped at my door, as always, I darted across the room and flung the door open. With the storm raging outside, there she stood, the ghost I had been referring to as Emily. Her dark hair was piled high on her head, and she wore a long, dark silk gown that dragged behind her. She was slightly transparent, but I could make out her features. She stared at me with dark eyes, and I could feel her negative energy. For whatever reason, I was not welcome in her house. In that moment, I did the only thing I could think to do, slam the door and lock it. I couldn't scream. I couldn't move. Writing this after all these years, I can feel that terror all over again. My parents didn't believe me, but my friends were intrigued as our house had a reputation long before we moved in. The only other time I ever saw her again was about two months later when I decided to have a pool party while my parents were away. After dinner, my friends and I were sitting around the pool when someone asked who was still inside. A look around our circle told me everyone was accounted for. I looked up to where my friend was pointing, and there was Emily standing in my window, looking down. At least someone else had seen her. My friends never came over to the house again, And I moved out a few weeks later. I have attempted to find out who Emily was in relation to the house, but though I have found the history of everyone who owned the house or lived there, no one of her description fit. My parents sold the house not too long after that to a couple that we knew. They didn't believe in ghosts, or so they said. My mom told me years later that at one point, the couple called to ask her if they ever had trouble with the light. And she says, side note, I named her Emily after Emily Dickinson. She looked like the popular photo you can find of the poet. That's wild. That is a wild story, Phyllis. I mean, that's almost like a movie. You run to the door and open it up and there's the ghost. You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You, you always think those stories end with, and I swing the door open and nothing's there. You know? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no. I swing the door open and it's all there. And it's right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that That's is crazy. crazy. Phyllis, thank you so much for submitting the story and we appreciate you being understanding. Um, we get a ton of stories. It's amazing that Adam can keep track of them all as they're coming in. Um, so just barely. If he, if he missed, <laughs> if he only missed one, he did a fantastic job. Uh, but we apologize for missing yours and hope this makes up for it. So yep. uh, thank you. Thank you, everybody. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 